And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to The Real Investment Show. It is, of course, Thursday, second best day of the week. Also, the second trading day of the year. And here we go. Last month of the quarter as well. So a lot of stuff going on this month. You know, we talked a little bit yesterday that, you know, as mutual funds, hedge funds move into this quarter, they're going to have to do some rebalancing in portfolios. Yesterday, markets sold off a little bit, you know, um, after some kind of walk back. Um, one of the Fed members, Rafael Bostic, came out yesterday and started kind of walking back his comments about a Fed pause coming August. And that kind of spooked markets a little bit, obviously, with inflation still running at fairly high levels right now, even though we're seeing some more disinflationary pressure start to come into the economy. One of the big things kind of weighing on markets really this year has been the concern over the Fed hiking rates, tightening monetary policy, a recession, all that type of stuff. And not surprisingly, markets did pull back just a little bit yesterday. Now, importantly, I guess from a good news, bad news standpoint, the good news is the market has been rallying here for the last few days, finally, right? Got some relief. And we've talked about using this rally uh, to rebalance some portfolios, right? So raise a little bit of cash, kind of reduce some exposure, you know, kind of look at some other opportunities. Well, markets ran right into these previous bottoms that we had broken earlier this year. Of course, you know, we had the bottoms that we set back in February where Russia invaded Ukraine. That was kind of the, the big point there. Markets had a big sell off that day kind of set this low mark. We retested those lows in April, kind of hold, held onto those for about a week or so, broke those in May, went to kind of a low here in May, a new low, and then rallied back up to kind of wrap up May about where we started, but back at these lows that we had previously broken. So that level of resistance still very much intact here and that's that's kind of weighing on stocks a little bit, right? So we markets still have to have to kind of get some muster here, so to speak, and we need to get back above those lows. But then right above that, we have the 50-day moving average. So there's just you know kind of think about you know walking up a staircase in a big pool of jello, right? So you know it's just you're you're making some progress here, but it's very tough, right? I mean, every step you make is just one challenge after the next. And that's really where the market is right now. It's just over the top of prices. Every time prices move up a little bit, there's just another hurdle technically that markets have to get over. And every remember, everybody's watching all these same levels, all the algorithms, all the systemic trade uh, systematic trading, retail investors, everybody. And most importantly, investors that have been trapped into this market during this decline are now going, I just want to get out. I <laughs> just, I want to get out of the markets. So all of these points that we get to, these kind of previous support levels that were broken, kind of previous uh, levels where investors were trying to buy the dip and it didn't work out. As we get back to these levels, we're going to have this selling. And that's a little bit what happened yesterday. Now, like I said, that, that's the bad news. The good news is markets are still on a buy signal here. So that's still working in our favor. That's giving the market some lift this morning. Futures are pointing a little bit higher. Um, you know, one thing that's not been working, unfortunately, is cryptocurrency. But outside of that, you know, and, and that's the reason that's important is cryptocurrencies had a very high correlation to stocks. 
that correlation is now getting broken as the market's kind of rallying here. But markets are pointing up a little bit this morning. We're going to try to retest those, those previous resistance levels. If we can break that, get above that, got a shot to move a little bit higher here. Markets are a little bit overbought on a short-term basis. So again, that kind of correction yesterday, really not surprising. But again, we've had a nice little move here. Take some money off the table. Wait to see what happens next. Get the next leg of the rally. Kind of wash, rinse, and repeat. That's going to really kind of be the name of the game here for the next couple of weeks. Now, as, as we've talked about, there's certainly plenty of indications that markets could muster a fairly strong rally here, much stronger than people expect. Look, markets still, the media still way too bearish on what's happening in the financial markets. I mean, there are 8,200 articles, we talked about that, written about bear markets, recessions. Everybody that emails me right now is just like, uh, we're, we're, you know, I don't even know why you're long stocks at all right now because this market's just going to crash. You know, we're, we're just going down further. It's, it's you know, the, the end of the world as we know it. And, you know, that's, and I get it, right? But the problem is, is that if we are going to have a recession and a real bear market, there's too many people already predicting it. This would be the most well-predicted, foreseen bear market in history. And, and because generally investors don't foresee a bear market or a recession, that's how you have, that's how they happen, right? Something starts to happen in the market and all of a sudden you get all this forced selling. Well, if everybody's already predicting a bear market and if everybody's already selling to have a bear market, then the odds of us actually having the bear market go way down. So what you need here is at least a strong enough rally to get everybody back into the market. <laughs> And then you can have the bear market, but it's unlikely that you're going to have a major bear market with everybody already predicting a bear market. Now, it doesn't mean it can't happen. It just doesn't generally happen that way because, again, if everybody's already selling and if everybody's already super negative, then who else is left out there to sell? That's going to be the big question. And we've had a lot of selling really ever since the beginning of this year, this, this whole year, five months to date. Um, has just been one consistent bout of selling, except for this little brief reprieve that we had back in March. And we had this fairly strong rally. Everybody got bullish. Oh, the bottom's in. And then that was where the next leg of this decline came. So again, without really having another fairly substantial rally at some point, doesn't mean it has to happen right now, but without having a fairly substantial counter trend rally at some point to get everybody back into the bullish camp, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to have a more severe bear market. So again, this is going to be a bit of a challenge that we've got to navigate here for the next, you know, really kind of few months, as, as particularly as we get through uh, September, you know, and well, really into August and September. The Fed, of course, um, well, something we'll talk about today, Michael Leibowitz joining me this morning. The Fed, of course, starting QT. That's another concern for the markets, absolutely. But again, markets are already so bearish. How much of that is already discounted? by the markets already. But the Fed is going to start uh, quantitative tightening this month. They're going to be reducing their balance sheet by $60 billion. Now it's going to ramp up to $90 billion, $95 billion by August. And then it's going to continue that run rate here for the next foreseeable future until the Fed gets into trouble and needs to stop that. Of course, they're also going to continue to hike rates. We've got another Fed meeting this month. We'll see another rate hike. Expectations are right now they're going to hike by 50 basis points. Again, further tightening in the markets. But a lot of the, the issue with the economy is already getting priced in. A lot of that tightening already happening. Higher mortgage rates, higher auto loans, higher interest rates on bonds. 
All those things already start higher inflation, of course, crimping consumption. All that is creating further fiscal tightening in the markets on top of what the Fed's doing. So this is all going to potentially lead the, the, the way in terms of a weaker economic output. The question, of course, though, is that at what point do they actually break something? So again, with everybody already very bearish here, there's certainly a, a, a risk of a, fair, a much stronger reflexive rally than people think. And why could you have that? Even though we've got all this potentially bad news out there, why could you have this stronger rally is because, well, a lot of this has already been priced in. If the Fed says anything kind of positive, even hints, and we kind of saw this over the last couple of days, if the Fed hints that maybe they'll slow their, their rate of, of tightening down or they'll back off a little bit on their terms of their inflation stance, well, we could see that bullishness come back into the markets. And that gives you the ability, ultimately, like I said, to have a bear market. I know it's very confusing, but that's just the way markets work. Markets always tend to do exactly the opposite of what the majority of investors are thinking. And right now, there's so much bearishness, it's almost bullish. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn. Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back this morning. Uh, right now, Buckingham Palace um, is a big celebration going on as Queen Elizabeth celebrates 70 years on the throne. She's 96 years old. Of course, her husband, uh, Prince Philip, died last year in 2021, and uh, so she is uh, still on the throne. I'm just wondering how many people thought when they put Queen Elizabeth on the throne that thought she would still be here. <laughs> 70 years later. Wow. I know, it's pretty amazing. I mean, she's still, you know, she's still doing her thing. She's either doing her thing or it's weekend at Bernie's for years <laughs> at, at Buckingham Palace. I'm not sure which, yeah. but it's it's one of the two. But no, it's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, just... Yeah, you know, what a legacy. It is quite... And it's going to be interesting to see what happens now. Are they going to continue the monarchy or is it eventually going to kind of, you know divest itself into some other type of structure. It'll be interesting to I see. I saw a poll this morning, 22% of, of the Brits think mm -hmm. they'd be better off without the monarchy. That's a, uh, that's, I, would, I would say I'm a little bit shocked that the number's that low. I thought they would have, by now, you know, kind of yeah. started getting to the majority of, you know, we're kind of past the monarchy and let's kind of move on with things because, you know, we're just kind of propping up one family, right? Um. So, yeah, I thought that number would have been, been higher. What? <laughs> Propping up a family. Yeah. Well, where have we seen that before? <laughs> you can't imagine where. <laughs> it doesn't happen in the United States ever. No. Yeah, never, ever. <laughs> never happens here. Of course, we have the same thing in the White House right now. 
an old guy with glasses on every time you see him. <laughs> Sunglasses. Speaking of weekends at Bernie. That's exactly my point. <laughs> he looks great. He's got sunglasses on, wearing the aviators. It's all great. <laughs> Have you seen Jeff Dunham now? He has a new yes. he has a new puppet. <laughs> Which is freaking hysterical. If you haven't looked it up, uh, Jeff Dunham has a new Joe Biden puppet, and it is hysterical. The guy does a great job with it. Anyway, uh, a couple of things to get into this morning, of course, as um, we were just talking about the Fed uh, naturally is is going to be hiking rates. And of course, this is the mark or, or the start, I should say, or, or the beginning of the QT era, as it will become to be known, I guess, for as long as it lasts, because, you know, QE has been kind of the run of the uh, run of the game ever since March of 2020, when the Federal Reserve started doing one hundred and twenty billion dollars a month in bond purchases. And they have continued that, you know, up through yesterday, uh, actually May 31st. So, you know, now we start this kind of, of point here to where we're going to start theoretically unwinding that massive nearly $9 trillion balance sheet that the Federal Reserve owns. By the way, uh, just as a side note, if you don't know this, when we account for corporate profits, and this is the profits that companies make, right? So Apple, Microsoft, uh, NVIDIA, Facebook, Tesla, Included in those corporate profits that are reported to the government, the Federal Reserve profits on their balance sheet count in that. So when we take a look at the corporate profits, we're like, corporate profits are up X this year. A chunk of that increase in corporate profits is coming from the Fed's balance sheet. That's counted in that corporate profit measure. And if you take the corporate profits that the Fed balance sheet produces, it is actually greater than the top 10 companies in the S&P index combined. So in terms of their total corporate profits, so you take Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, those companies, you look at their corporate profits, you add all those up, the Federal Reserve makes more corporate profit than those companies combined. Just to let you know what a nine, if you hit, so all you need is a $9 trillion balance sheet. You too <laughs> can, uh, do whatever you want to do with the world. <laughs> so you'll have plenty of capital to spin off. Anyway, Michael Leibowitz joining this morning. Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good, good. So, yeah, so here we go. Um, now we're starting this kind of QT, this reversal process. Starting at $60 billion, um, you know, was everybody kind of thought they were going to start out at, you know, their $90 billion and just run it off. But they said that we're going to start at 60 and kind of ramp up to $90 billion over the next couple of months. And, you know, I just want to kind of go over a couple of things. First of all, this is, you know, a lot of people are just like, oh, my gosh, when the Fed starts selling all these bonds, it's just going to devastate the bond market. Well, that's not really what's going to happen, um, because over the course of the last several years, really starting in 2019, when they were doing repo, a lot of the bonds that the Fed was buying was fairly short duration um, bonds and bills that will mature. So a lot of of this tightening of the balance sheet will literally be just letting bonds roll off without replacing them. And so right. there, also, there won't be really all this massive selling that a lot of people are expecting. Right. And Lance, remember, they also bought about, what, $4 trillion before, before 2019, before 2020. Right. And, uh, you know, even if those were, I don't know, what, 10, 15, 20-year, 30-year bonds, those have now become much shorter bonds. Mm -hmm. So that also helps 
you know, make the, the number of shorter maturities much greater, allowing them to roll off. Uh, but it doesn't appear that they're going to have to sell bonds anytime mm-hmm. soon. That may not necessarily be true with mortgages. At some point later, maybe late summer, early fall, they may have to sell some mortgages because with rates so high, they're not prepaying. They're not, people aren't refinancing mortgages. House sales are becoming less frequent. So mortgages last longer and they don't prepay as much. So let's let's back that up a minute. You're throwing some stuff out here that people don't, you know, that for the average person, I don't think they really understand. You know, so the two things first, let's start with this. First, the composition of the Fed's balance sheet is really made up of two things. Um, They have they buy Treasury bills and bonds, which are United States issued government bonds. And that's part that's the majority of their purchases. So if they're going to purchase a hundred billion dollars in a month, it might be 60, 70 billion dollars worth of U.S. Treasuries. And this is what the U.S. Treasury is issuing to basically fund the deficit spending of the government. The other 30 or 40 billion, whatever it is, is made up of mortgage-backed securities. And these are bonds that are comprised of your house mortgage. So when you went and bought a house, you took out a mortgage with the bank, and the bank doesn't hold the mortgages anymore. The whole game of the bank is to loan you the money and then get that loan off their books as fast as possible. And the way they do that is they securitize that mortgage in, and, and basically, they're selling their, their mortgages to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac uh, in general. And then those bonds are all put together into a big pool and sold off as a, as a mortgage-backed security. There's, there's, it's what's called securitization. They, make, they take a whole pool of bonds, maybe you know, 100, 200 mortgages, whatever it is, and they pool all that together into one security turn it into a bond, and they sell that bond to somebody in the public. So you may have a mortgage back. Let's say, for instance, in your portfolio, you might have a mortgage-backed ETF, right? So you may have a mortgage bond ETF. Well, it just holds a bunch of these mortgage bonds in your portfolio. Well, those are all individual mortgages. So what Mike's talking about here is that as interest rates go up, people don't refi their houses. So how does a mortgage bond get paid off? Well, a mortgage bond gets paid off when you pay off your mortgage. So if you have a mortgage and you sell your house, well, the first thing that happens when you sell your house is the mortgage is paid off. So if that mortgage is inside one of these bonds, that portion of the bond is redeemed, right? And so you have this roll-off of these bonds occurring fairly regularly as as people are paying off their mortgage early. They refinance their mortgage at a lower rate, so that mortgage gets paid off and their new mortgage is in another bond somewhere else. Or they sell their home and that that mortgage is paid off, and then they take out a mortgage on a new home and that bond that mortgage is somewhere else. So that's what Mike's talking about here is this what we call prepayment, right? So a mortgage is 30 years long, but the average holding period for mortgage is typically about seven years because people sell and move or they refi or whatever they do. Well, if interest rates go up, all of a sudden, who's gonna refi at a higher rate, right? And if interest rates go up, I can't afford to move because if my mortgage in my current house is 3% and my mortgage on my new house is going to be 5 or 6%, I may not want to move because I don't want the higher mortgage payment and I have to buy less house, right? So there's a couple of things that stop this prepayment activity, and that means that the duration 
of those mortgage-backed securities now go from seven years to now 15 or 20 or 30 years, depending on what happens with rates. So that that duration becomes a lot longer, which means they won't ro- they won't mature as quickly in the Fed's balance sheet as they were previously. Is fair fair assessment, Mike? Yeah, very fair. And remember, there's also in every monthly payment you make, there's also a principal component. Right. So unlike a bond where you buy $100 of a bond, there is no, there's no nothing maturing until maturity date when it all matures. A mortgage bond slowly matures over time. So what the Fed is banking on is enough maturities. Now maturities, again, are refinancing. They're people getting new mortgages because they're selling their home, buying a new home. And it's just the, the accrual of those mortgage payments and everyone's monthly payments. Mm-hmm. And what what's going on is that, say, the Fed has a, a trillion of mortgages. They're hoping that 100 million worth of it, 10 percent, pays down every year. So that pay down would allow them to reduce the size of their mortgages by 10 percent a year. But because interest rates are so high, that number now wow. may be 5 percent. But the Fed wants to get rid of 10 percent. Mm-hmm. So they'll have to sell 5% on top of the 5% that naturally rolls down. Now, if rates start coming down, people will refinance. The housing market may perk up. Housing market's pretty hot, but it may perk up a little and you get may get more transactions. So in that case, the Fed may not have to, to sell much. mortgages. Yeah. Um, well, real, real quick, we'll come back from the break. Um, We'll kind of pick up on this topic because, again, the, the question becomes now is, you know, with markets, as, as I was saying at the open, as deeply negative as they are, how much of this QT, at least initially, has already been priced in by the markets? And exactly at what point does this potentially cause a real problem for markets? We'll come back and talk with Michael Leibowitz about that after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never owned a bond in my portfolio it is terrifying get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn thursday june 2nd with richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest lance roberts register now at realinvestmentadvice.com the thing about bonds with ratliff rosso and roberts realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show So markets have been under a lot of pressure this year so far. Seems like I just said that. Yeah, um, <laughs> of course, Brent didn't hit the button. Yep, that was me. <laughs> Actually, I did hit the button and it didn't play. Gotcha. 
So, you know, you know, you know, just accept responsibility. You're always trying to blame, you know, other other buttons for your problems. <laughs> you know? I have so many to choose from. <laughs> you do. <laughs> But yeah, so far this year, markets have been under a lot of pressure. Um, as we talked about in kind of the opening segment this morning, 8,200 articles written this year on a bear market. And that far exceeds any other level, you know, that we've seen in any kind of previous bear market period. Um, Google trend searches for bear markets have surged to March 2020 levels. Um, last time the markets were in, a, in this kind of a decline, you know, and, and again, March 2020, very different than it is today. March 2020 was a 35% decline in three weeks versus this, you know, kind of dragged, drawn out, you know, drudge that we've been in for the last five months. And the question becomes, of course, in order to have that kind of drawn out, you know, sell off in the market, you've done a lot of liquidations. Hedge funds exposure to long equity positions has been reduced by a tremendous amount. Uh, leverage in hedge funds have has have had a big, big reversal. Um, not a lot of hedge fund leverage right now. So the question becomes, of course, when we we're talking about this is, you know, a lot of expectation right now. You take a look at the, you know, the Citigroup uh, bull bear indicator. It's like extreme bearishness, right? You can't even get more bearish than that indicator is right now. And, and so the question becomes, yeah, as the Fed now begins to hike quantitative tight or do, you know, hike interest rates and do quantitative tightening, the markets have already been doing a lot of this pricing in of higher interest rates and quantitative tightening. The question, of course, is, is has it done enough? And is there a lot more downside to go? Now, again, I'm, I'm getting emails every day from people is like, you know, this market's going down another 50%. Probably not. But there's a tremendous amount of negativity built around the markets right now because of what's happening with Russia, Ukraine. At the same time, we've got the Fed. We've got central banks around the world, you know, hiking interest rates. You know, the, the worry of a recession is everywhere, right? You know, just article after article after headline on CNBC, et cetera. Recessions are coming. Recession, and... and the problem with this is that if we do have a bear market and a recession at this point, it will be the most well-forecasted recession and bear market ever in history. Because the reason bear markets happen is because people aren't expecting one. <laughs> you know, back in 2008, as a good example, Ben Bernanke, right? Goldilocks economy, we have Bear Stearns, blows up, gets bought out, you know, for $2 a share, and then the market rallies to all-time highs because it was believed that that was a one-off event and that bearishness that was occurring right around the Bear Stearns blow-up, and Mike did a chart on this yesterday in our daily commentary, um, oh, sorry, in, in his article yesterday, which is on the website at realinvestmentadvice.com, talking about Bear Stearns, it was believed that that was the, the, the crux of the event. Now that that's happened, it's all good. And Everybody came running back into the markets and got back to being very bullish. And then that was the beginning of what was going to be the rest of the 2008 financial crisis. But that's one of the things to consider here is that individuals and investors are generally wrong at extremes. And you have an extreme level of bearishness right now, which suggests that you could have a fairly strong rally in this market enough to get everybody back into the bullish camp. And then that's where you have potentially 
your bear market, but that could be lasting a little bit longer than we have here. But that was a point, uh, again, this is kind of a point you brought up yesterday, Mike, in your article about Bear Stearns and a little bit of that history of what happened with Bear Stearns and kind of what came immediately after. Right. And I end, <clears throat> excuse me, I end that article with a chart showing the 2000 and 2008 bear markets. And there are five to six double digit rallies within each of those. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Lance, when everyone's bearish, the market's not going to sell off. <laughs> the market always tries to get as many people off sides as possible. And that's what creates the volatility and the potential downside. Mm -hmm. So we may, sorry for my froggy uh, throat air, <laughs> we may be in a bear market. You know, market is down 20%, so you can call it a bear market, don't call it a bear market, doesn't matter. Right now, there are so many people calling for a bear market, so many people saying there's another 20, 30, 50% downside, mm -hmm. and there may be. We're not, we're not to say there is or there isn't, but you have to go back to what happened in 2008 Throughout two, late 2006, 2007, early 2008, small mid-sized banks were failing, and some of them were decent-sized banks, especially on the West Coast. Then some hedge funds started failing, and in March of uh, mid-March of 2008, Bear Stearns got bought for two dollars a share, with the Fed backstopping the whole deal with J.P. Morgan purchasing mm -hmm. it. Right. And literally, that happened Sunday. The following Monday, the market rallied for a month. <laughs> 10 plus percent, 15 percent gain. And it really, you know, at the time, I think a lot of people thought the worst was over. You had your failure. You had these small banks failing. In reality, the writing was on the wall that it was just beginning. Mm -hmm. The uh, house prices were continuing to fall. The Fed was still they were lowering rates, but they were still saying there's not a recession coming. Don't worry about it. This subprime thing is contained. Bernanke has a million quotes from then that are still being used against the guy. Um, <laughs> but he was the hero, right? He was the hero. Of course he was. Time, and, Time Magazine, the hero, right? Yeah. Or no, oh, sorry, it was the, I'm sorry, it wasn't Time. It was the Atlantic. The Atlantic named Ben Bernanke the hero. And, right. uh, yeah, of course, you know, this, is, this was the guy saying, no, don't worry about it. Subprime's contained. It's all fine. Don't right. worry about it. And then, you all know, good. within four or five months, AIG, Fannie Mae, and even some of the bigger banks were starting to show signs of problems. Bank America was having problems. Citibank was trading, what, below $5, $3 a share, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So the whole financial system was crumbling because a lot of what was really going on was misdiagnosed by, by the Fed, by the banks, and by investors. And that's when the panic hit. But again, there are massive rallies within these bear markets. And you can go back and look at the 20, the 30s as well. Same thing. So what's important is not to get caught up in, is this a bear market or is this just a consolidation reprieve in a bigger bull market rally? But what sentiment like? Is it oversold? Is it overbought? And use those as opportunities. If you think this is a bear market, use this rally to rebalance, reposition yourself take on more conservative companies, sell more aggressive, uh, higher growth companies, if that's what you think. Mm -hmm. If you think we're kind of nearing a bottom here, start buying those things that are really beat up, high growth, explosive growth technology. Some of these stocks are down 70, 80 plus percent. 
if you think this is just this is sort of the end of this another short lived bear market like 2020, this could potentially be a great opportunity. But, you know, I think what's important is and this goes back to QT, don't lose sight of the fact that the Fed is removing liquidity from the market, both with higher interest rates that raises margin rates. So people that buy stocks on leverage can't buy as many stocks on leverage because the cost of doing so is higher. But more importantly, the Fed is essentially, if you think of the amount of treasuries outstanding, supply it's all about supply and demand. So the Fed has basically taken, what are they up to, eight, nine trillion of securities of the 20 plus trillion of, of treasury securities and pulled them out of the market. That eight or nine trillion of investor money had to go somewhere else. So some of it went to corporate bonds, some went to, you know, all other parts of the market, it went to the stocks, real estate, all kinds of things. Well, the Fed is reversing that now. So as the Fed matures, starting with what, 60 billion, someone's going to have to pick that up and someone's going to have to sell something to, a, to be able to buy it. Right. And that's, that's what's going to start happening in the supply demand naturally starts working against the market, but this can go on for a year. In yeah. 2018, the Fed started doing QT and it took over a year before that really started affecting the market. Yeah, that's, but, that was a point I was going to bring up is that just because they start and this is kind of what, you know, where people get a little bit off sides is they go, well, they're doing QT this month. That means the market's going to crash right now. Uh, the Fed's hiking rates, that means the market's going to go down right now because every time the Fed hikes rates, there's always a, a dislocation in the markets. And that's true. Every time the Fed does go into a rate hiking campaign, they always hike it too far. They create a problem. But it takes time. And and if you go back and look at history, as Mike was just pointing out, when the Fed starts reducing their balance sheet or the Fed starts hiking rates, it's it's quite common. In fact, it's it, almost every time the market continues to rally even though the Fed's hiking rates and reducing their balance sheet, it just takes time before that realization comes to around to the markets that it's now extracted enough liquidity from other areas that is causing that eventual crisis in the market of whatever it is, right? So you either get the bear market, you get some type of failure in the in a banking system, whatever it is, but it takes time for us to get there. Um, one thing I want to talk about when we come back, I had an interesting email uh, the other day on corporate share buybacks. And, you know, just recently, insiders have come back and, and they've been buying stock a lot here over the last week or so as markets have kind of bottomed and turned up. But I want to talk a little bit about share buybacks and what is going to potentially happen with that as we move further out into the cycle of the Fed tightening their balance sheet, hiking rates and with the financial markets. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never 
owned a bond in my portfolio. It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free Lunch and Learn, Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Huge debate going on CNBC right now about returning to the office. Of course, Elon Musk yesterday sparking a, a bit of outrage. Outrage, I tell you. Saying that if you don't want to return to the office working, pretend to work somewhere else. And, you know, and, and it's kind of a good point. I mean, it's like, look, you know, get back to work and, you know, we got things to do and stuff to produce. And now, of course, uh, you know, all these younger workers that got used to, you know, not really working at home, um, you know, are, are, are all banding together going, I don't want to go back to the office. I, you know, look, I, I've never stopped coming to the office. Brent and I were here every day through the entire shutdown. We didn't miss a lick. Then, yep. Still showing up. Yep. So, you know. It was actually crowded up in here yesterday. It was. We had six more people. I know. <laughs> Normally than we do. Yeah, it's like actually people here. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's just very interesting now. This is, you know, people got to this idea is like, oh, look, you, know, I can just kind of get half dressed for work. I just dress the upper half of my body for Zoom meetings, and I wear shorts and flip flops all day, and you know, hang out by the pool, whatever it is. You know, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's like the sartorial mullet. Yeah. Business in the front, business in the top. Uh, yeah. and party <laughs> in the rear. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Th look, I, I think there's an easy solution to this. Is like, look, if you want to work at home, that's fine. You know, I'll pay half as much. And, uh -huh. and, you know, if you want to, if you want to come to the office and work, I'll give you full pay. So, you know, take your pick and you can have your mm -hmm. work life however you want it. Yeah. But, you know, there's a cost and a consequence to it. And, you know, so we'll see. But, well, right yeah. now, right now, workers have leverage, right? There aren't enough workers, but that's going to change. Yeah. You know, especially if we're going into a recession and when that changes, those demands about working from home are not going to be as valuable as <laughs> they like, are nope, right I'll now. show up at the office. Just tell me where and when. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, corporate buybacks. I, I think there's an interesting thing going on with corporate buybacks right now. Of course, uh, share buybacks have uh, comprised 40%. So if you take a look at the rally in the stock market from 2011 to present, corporate share buybacks have made up 40% of the advance in the S&P during that time. The rest of it was dividends, valuation expansion, and, and just prices. So pretty amazing. I mean, uh, corporate share buybacks have made a, a major impact to the markets over the course of the last, you know, 10 years in particular. And, and, and not surprisingly, right? I mean, uh, companies were flush with cash. They had um, very low interest rates. We saw a lot of companies borrowing capital in order to do share buybacks to help boost their asset prices. Of course, by boost by doing share buybacks, that you know reduced their earnings per share and you know made their made their balance sheet look better um, in terms of their reported earnings. Right, so they report earnings per share. Well, if I reduce the number of shares, my earnings look better. And that helped boost their share price. So that, that way they could always kind of meet or beat or exceed these Wall Street estimates. So we think Apple's going to earn a buck 10 and they come in with a buck 11. The stock goes up 20%. And so this myth came around that share buybacks are return of capital to shareholders because the stock prices were going up. Well, that's not really the case. Uh, the only people that benefit from a share buyback are those that sell their shares, right? 
that's how you benefit from a share buyback. So who who are the people that benefit by it from a share buyback? It's the insiders of companies who redeem their shares for a stock buyback program. Apple's a good example of this. Apple has spent over half a trillion dollars on share buybacks. So that's half a trillion dollars spent buying back shares of their own stock rather than making acquisitions, developing a new technology, more R&D, whatever it is, right? So, the, you know, that's kind of the dark side of share buybacks. But the markets have loved share buybacks because it's been boosting asset prices. The question becomes, though, particularly when we saw this in March of 2020, Boeing is a good example. Boeing had spent five years buying back shares, and as soon as the company gets in trouble because of the pandemic shutdown, they have to run to the government for a bailout, which we bailed them out, right? Taxpayer dollars. But responsibility, right? What are these companies' responsibilities to shareholders, to the viability of their company, et cetera? That's one question. The other question about share buybacks is the inefficiency of the use of the capital and you know, what does that mean potentially for markets down the road? And it's just kind of an interesting debate point. Again, this goes back and forth a lot within the, within the markets. And, and right now we've had a dearth of buybacks over the course of the last few months. Companies didn't want to buy back shares during declining asset prices. But now over the last week or so, we've seen share buybacks starting to rise again, right? We've seen a lot of companies talking about as they report earnings, they've also picked up on this game with the earnings reports is, yeah, I know my earnings are going to suck. So, um, yeah, uh, my expectations for earnings were $1.10. We came in at $1.08. Revenue was down. Uh, we missed our target there. But, hey, we're going to do a share buyback program. And so people, <laughs> people buy back, you know, start buying the stock, hoping that the share buyback announcement will make the stock price go up. You know, this is the game that we've gotten into. And, and again, I think there's, a, there's some good sides to it. There's some bad sides to it. And, and, you know, the one thing that we've talked about before, of course, is share buybacks were illegal until 1990 because it was deemed by the SEC after the Great Depression that share buybacks were a form of market manipulation. But with enough lobbying by Wall Street, we made share buybacks legal again. And the question becomes is, has it become a form of market manipulation once again, I think that answer is pretty clear. Mike, your thoughts? That answer is pretty clear. And But what bothers me more, and I think Intel is a great example. Intel for years was losing market share to the Asian chip manufacturers, South Korea, to the point where we became heavily reliant on chips from outside of the country, which wasn't a problem until the pandemic. But the pandemic hits, the supply lines all get clogged up. We can't get chips. Because the, you know, all the ports are closed, both here and abroad. They're not producing as many. Intel, instead of investing in more production facilities, more efficient production facilities, was buying back stock. And 60 Minutes, if you if you look it up on YouTube, did an outstanding discussion about this. It's about a 10, 15 minute long video about Intel and how they massively screwed up because <laughs> they were buying back shares and not investing in the future. Mm -hmm. And you know, this holds true, but we can see it now affecting us. The car the car companies can't get enough chips and they're waiting on all these Asian chip manufacturers when they could be made here in the United States and they're not. Now, some of that is they're outsourcing, too, because of cost. Mm -hmm. But 
they could become more efficient with that money spent. So this isn't just about market manipulation. This isn't just about executives who get paid largely in stock, boosting their pay, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. This is what this is also about is the economy. It's the welfare of the, the citizens of this country. And we are getting punished so that executives can get paid more and investors feel good about the stock market or about the stocks of these companies. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and you know, I think that's a, a, an important point because you know, we talk about this, this wealth inequality, right? The top 1%. And, you know, the top 1% is, yes, they have a lot more wealth than everybody else, but it's really the one tenth of the 1%. We're talking specifically now. When you get to that one tenth of one percent, you're talking about these corporate CEOs that make, you know, right. tens and twenties and thirties of millions of dollars every year, and you know, salary. And of course, you know, this all started under the Clinton administration when Bill Clinton wanted to rein in corporate CEO pay, and he's like, okay, well, you can't pay a CEO more than a million dollars, and and so the, the Wall Street said, okay, fine, whatever, uh, we'll just do stock options, and we got into this whole stock option game. Of course, then CEOs aren't stupid. They're going, well, if I'm getting paid mostly in stock options, it really benefits me to make sure that my stock price keeps going up. And so this is where we got into getting, we got away from gap earnings. In other words, reporting what companies actually made into reporting pro forma earnings or what we call operating earnings, which is operating before all the BS. Um, and, and, you know, that helped boost these earnings, right? And so we don't even report good earnings anymore. We report these fantasy numbers to try to make the stock, make the company performance look better so investors will buy the shares, which makes them rich. Uh, Wall Street Journal did an article uh, not too long ago talking about, corp, you know, CFOs and their reporting nearly 40% of the data reported by CFOs are fudged in every report coming out. So when you're when you're reading a, 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 Q, a, a financial report at the end of a quarter, a lot of that data is fudged. You know, cookie jarring reserves, uh, pushing out a purchase to the next quarter, um, you know, itemizing certain items to make their bottom line look better. But it's all these manipulations to try to beat that Wall Street number because everybody's now become focused on can this company beat, you know, earnings by a penny? If they do, the company goes up a lot in the stock price. If they miss by a penny, stock gets punished. And, and really, a penny difference. If I'm making a hundred and you know, a, you know, a dollar eighty on you know a, a billion dollars worth of income, what's the difference between a dollar eighty and a dollar eighty-one or a dollar seventy-nine? Nothing. Right. I mean, it's it's literally a rounding error in a lot of cases, but we attribute so much to, to those numbers that it's now become a focal point of CEOs to meet or beat that number rather than focusing on doing what's right for the comp the company, the economy, you know, their their local uh, districts where they, they live and, and operate. You know, there's so much that could be done to improve the entire quality and prosperity of, of the economy across the board if we moved away from focusing so heavily on just beating an estimate from one quarter to the next. Yeah, just Google Lance Roberts, Michael Leibowitz, Real Investment Advice, buybacks, <laughs> and you're going to find a dozen articles <laughs> where we rail on buybacks and and the problems that they cause yeah. in the markets and for the whole economy and for you and me. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, Mike, thanks for helping out with the rant today. We appreciate it. <laughs> Always help. happy to do that. <laughs> Um, all right. We'll be back tomorrow, of course, with Financial Fitness Friday. 
Uh, like I said, Michael's new article about Bear Stearns is out on the on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, check out our latest podcast. We have our weekly recap we do with Adam Taggart on our website as well. And, of course, our uh, ask questions, comments, emails, whatever you've got. It's a, just simply there. Ask a question. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, check out Simplevisor, our fully operational digital platform. Do all your own research. Follow our portfolios and more right there for you. Simplevisor.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow right here on The Real Investment Show. It's a rich man's world.